Good morning, and uh, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2 today. Uh, We have called this series Stand Fast, Stand Firm. Today we're going to stand firm in our Christian liberty. Elmer Davis wrote in one of his books, This will remain the land of the free only so long as it as it remains the home of the brave this will this will remain the land of the free only as long as the home of the brave is it is the home of the brave christianity will only be christianity as long as salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone uh, verses 1 through 5, we will see three unique characters. We're going to see the characters of the Gentiles, the gospel and its character, as well as grace. Let's read verses 1 through 5. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might have ran or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me, being a Greek, a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. Uh, this, and, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy on our liberty, uh, which we have in Christ Jesus, and that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission for even an hour, uh, that the truth of the gospel might continue uh, with you. Uh, we can have a zeal for Jesus. We can have a zeal for God. We can have a zeal for our our, our spiritual and religious beliefs. There are many out there who have their their zeal for their religion. Any religion, all religions, has its zealots. Matter of fact, we know that Jesus had one of a zealot, at least one zealot, in his uh, twelve disciples. But you can also be zealously wrong. You can be sincerely wrong. And that's what Paul wants to talk about in chapter 2. He wants to talk about how there are these guys, these false brethren who came in. We call them Judaizers in the theological realms. They, they came in. They were false brothers because, because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. These Judaizers tried to, to preach and to teach that you needed to, to have the ceremonial laws, the, uh, the food laws, the, the cultural laws. We call it legalism, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And you need to have faith in Jesus. That three-letter word, and, cancels everything out. When Paul, who was zealous for the law was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus he did a complete 180 he turned completely around he realized that his zeal was 
aimed at the wrong direction. His zeal was aimed towards the wrong thing. And he had to completely change the direction of his zeal. The word gospel in English is God's Godspell. It denotes glad tidings or good news. In the Old Testament, we and even in the New Testament, and even us today, we, we see this. Maybe not as often as we do uh, in the Bible times or the ancient times. But, but we see it when there's the birth of a child. Today, whenever uh, your wife or you give birth to a child, you uh, snap photos of that child. You send text about to all your friends about that baby. You post pictures on Instagram, Snapchat, on Facebook, and you are excited. And people respond back with gifts and congratulations and how beautiful and we say Godspell, good news, good news, our baby has made it into this world. But in ancient times, we have uh, times where they would say good news when uh, they the Israelites would have a new king or when they won a victory in battle over their enemies or when Israel's salvation received salvation from its uh, foreign powers or um, when uh, they would be defeated when they would overcome the enemy uh, we also see that it's in personal affliction and Psalm 40 verse 9 we read that that they were they experienced personal affliction and in doing so they overcame that personal affliction as a hospice chaplain I I see it all the time I pay particular attention to those commercials of the the cancer drugs and you see stories of how women or men have overcome a certain cancer my uncle had overcome cancer 30 years ago and it was good news it was God's spell we we take three things from here we take three big stones from Gentiles to the gospel and to grace first of all these Gentiles they wanted to uh, uh, to to entrap us they wanted to to arrest us in this idea of legalism uh, they did it by those Judaizers those false brothers those if I can give you the Greek definition it's sham Christians <laughs> that's really what it amounts to it's persuado false they were fake brothers. They claimed to be one thing, but they were really actually something else. They claimed to be followers of Jesus, but they wanted to add something to Jesus. They wanted to add that works aspect. We see it today in, in our churches. I, I know the church that I currently serve at today, uh, before I got there, years before I got there, I was told that in the bulletin, in the worship guide, they, the church, had a printed dress code. That's legalism. Do I think we should dress nice when we go to church? Sure. 
But I don't think that's going to get us salvation. Today, we are still experiencing worship wars. It's not as prevalent as it was in the late 90s and early 2000s. But we still deal with it. Is it praise courses? Is it hymns? Is it a guitar and drums? Or is it simply a piano and an organ? Oh, we understand this. Paul says that Gentiles don't need circumcision and Jesus. You can't have both and it's either or. You're either on Jesus' side with grace or you are against Christ in your own works. Paul goes on to say that this gospel gives us this liberty Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Paul would say, give me the gospel or liberty or give us death in our legalism. Liberty gives us the freedom to worship God free of all distractions. I don't have to say a certain prayer. I don't have to sing a certain song. I don't have to read a certain uh, translation of the Bible. I can worship God because of who God is. I don't have to do it on a full moon, a heart or a harvest moon, or any other phase of the moon. I can do it when the sun is out. I can do it whether it's on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, whether it is on a Monday or a Thursday or a Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday. It doesn't matter. I can do it in my jeans and I can do it in a three-piece suit. Paul says, the gospel, the gospel gives us liberty. And Paul ends with leadership in this first section. He says that, that he went up to make sure that he was running not in vain. But Paul did it in a graceful way. After a revelation, Charles Spurgeon once said that, I wish... Now, let's read the quote together. He says that, well, I don't see it here. He says that he wishes Christians would confront false teachings. We need to do it with truth and we need to do it with love. But we need leadership. When he confronted them when he walked up to him when he saw them and he was wondering if he was running in vain Paul said that not even or that Titus was given to circumcision Titus who was with me a Greek was compelled to be circumcised why we need to confront these things we as Christians need to be leaders and we need pastors who will stand up and say that it's not Jesus and but it's either or and the sorry thing about that is that the either and the or isn't going to get you into heaven it's only going to be Jesus how do we know the grace is important well because the prodigal son wasted his money 
his inheritance on prostitutes and parties. But he was welcomed back with open arms from his father, by his father. Grace won. The woman at the well who was married five times and the man she was living with was not her husband. Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. And she believed and went and told her whole town. And many of the people in Samaria believed. Grace won. For it was the blind man and the beggar who found Jesus, recovered his sight. Grace won. For Zacchaeus was a wee little man who Jesus says today salvation has come to your house. Grace won. For grace won with the the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. The woman caught in adultery. Grace won. When Jesus, when you found Jesus, grace won. Jesus didn't go and tell us to go and to rectify all of the sins and the mistakes that we made. He didn't tell us to go sacrifice ourselves on the cross. Rather, he did it for us. Grace wins. Verses 6 through 10. We see three other items. Paul, Peter, and partnership. But from those who seem to be to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship of the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas or Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, and we should go to the Gentiles and to the circumcised, and they to the circumcised. And they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. We need to remember that, that we each have our own spiritual gifts. That we have been called to influence the circle in which we run in. There are going to be people that you can reach, that you can share the gospel with, that I won't be able to. And there's going to be people that I can reach that you can't because of where we live, because of the, the people that we hang with, the communities that we live in, the places that we work. And in all of those areas, God has gifted us and given us grace and has given us Energy. That's what that word effectively means. It's it's energo. It's it's the, where we get our word energy from. He has energized you and equipped you and gifted you to reach certain people. Just as he's done with Paul. Paul was to go to the Gentiles. Peter was to go to the Jews. 
And in doing so, they found a partnership. I know of two men who are 24, they were 24 and 27 at the time that I first met them. And uh, we were at a church and their pastor had just resigned and in resigning uh, I had come in to, to, to do some interim work there. I'm now, uh, well, I, I was on staff then and still on staff today there. And I asked these two young men who both felt called to ministry. I asked them, when you look at this building, when you look at what's going on inside this building, what, what do you think would help attract people to the church? So the 27-year-old, he says, well, we need to get rid of the carpet. We need to paint the walls. We need to change uh, the windows. We need to take those uh, curtains off. We need to change the way the stage looks. We need to, on the back wall where the music guy is, where, where we do all the recording at, we need to put light bulbs to spell out the name of Jesus. And every time someone gets baptized, we twist the light on. I thought that was pretty... Uh, pretty cool idea. Personally, I would like to have a, a baptismal fountain. Uh, but I don't think that's going to cause people to come to Jesus. The 24-year-old, to my surprise, said nothing. The carpet was 15, 20 years old. The walls hadn't been painted uh, in the three years that I had been there. Uh... Uh, I don't know if they've been painted in the past 15 years. There'd be touch-up work. The the windows that were really stained glass were stained plexiglass. They weren't even really uh, glass. And it just looked stagnant. He didn't make recommendations for the music, whereas the 27-year-old says it needs to be more contemporary. And this 24-year-old said, ah, the piano and the organ, that's fine with me. We all have our ideas of what church is supposed to look like, what Christianity is supposed to look like, what the gospel is, and none of that has anything to do with the gospel. Uh, Paul says that, that they partnered. When Paul went out to preach, the first place he would go in any, in any town would be the synagogue. He'd go to the Jews, and then he'd go to the Gentiles. And they worked together to see the glory of the Lord. They, they went out and preached to their people in their way. So that the kingdom of God would, would grow. That's what we need to focus on. The lights, the carpet, the walls. That's not going to bring people to Christ. Matter of fact, we didn't change very much stuff at that church. What we did do is we partnered. We used each person's gifts and we went to the community and we reached out to the community and we showed them that we are just like them. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And we told them about that Savior. We need Peters and we need Pauls and we need a partnership. 
We need to overcome our fears. We need to have fellowship with one another. And we need to express our faith. Verses 11 through 21 Paul says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, that is Syria, I withstood him to his face because he was he, he was to be blamed. For when certain men from James came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews who also played the hypocrite with him, so that Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. Peter, although he was called to, to, to witness and to preach and to minister to those who were circumcised, Peter had a vision in Acts chapter 10 that says to go to this man's house named Canidius and eat the foods. And these foods that he had a vision of were unclean foods. They were foods that Jews weren't supposed to eat. Peter went up and said, hey, now I know that anything that God made is clean. So Peter had enjoyed the foods. He enjoyed pork chops and bacon. But the very moment that someone of the circumcision party came, he cowered. And Paul says that I confronted him on this. Fear is contagious. Because of Peter's failure, because of his fear, he caused Barnabas to leave to change his ways Peter enjoyed wearing a mask that says it's okay to eat pork chops and it's okay to eat bacon when nobody was around he put on his mask and became like that of a Gentile but when someone came in he kowtowed Kind of brings back his old days when he denied Christ three times. He was fearful. Now, Peter would later change how he uh, stood up for Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, tradition tells us that he was crucified next to his wife upside down. Peter changed over the years, but Peter kowtowed to those who were considered to be something in the religious faith. Paul goes on in verses 14 through 16 and says, there, there's this fellowship that needs to be taken place. He goes, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I saw, I also, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of a Gentile, and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? If you're going to eat bacon, then why are you telling Jews, I mean, Gentiles not to eat bacon? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. What, what Paul is saying here is, 
is we need to have this fellowship. We need to have this this working together. We need to have this understanding of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to, to be the gospel, to be saved by the gospel, not by works. We need to be on the same page. And if you who are a Jew would live like a a Gentile, why are you asking a Gentile to live like a Jew? You're being a hypocrite. You're you're playing two sides of a different coin. It's not fair for you to charge someone else to be something that they're not when you're not being who you are called to be. He says we got to get straight. This we got to make straight. We need to orthopedo, meaning to walk straight. We need to walk together. We need to be rowing this boat in the same direction. Because our justification doesn't come from eating of foods and doing of works. Rather, our faith comes by what Jesus did on the cross. In verses 16 and 17, that word justification you used four times. <laughs> and sometimes, in verse, like in verse 21, it's rendered righteousness. It's... It's almost the same word. We, we use in English justification or righteousness as justified. Justification, righteous, just, righteous, righteousness or justified. The basic meaning of the term is, is that we're forensically, we're a, forensically a judge declares an accused person not guilty but yet right before the law. It was the opposite of being declared guilty or condemned. You're being declared innocent. Throughout Scripture, justification refers to God's declaring a sinner to be guiltless on the basis of his faith. We need to tell people that. Paul ends with faith. But if we who seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life now, which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. To those to love who loved me and gave Himself for me, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. What Paul is saying here is, is that I trust everything that Jesus did on that cross. That when he came from heaven to earth, he fulfilled the law. He did away with the law. We couldn't keep the law. We couldn't keep one iota of the law. We weren't our best perfect kids when we were kids. We didn't honor our parents and obey them while we were kids. We broke that commandment. When Paul, when 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 uh, uh, Moses tells us in the Ten Commandments, don't fault, bear false witness, we have lied. When it says that you should not commit murder, should not kill, what Jesus says, 
Even if you've been angry with your brother, you've committed murder. We know that we've been angry. We know that we wanted something that someone else has. We've coveted. It doesn't have to be their wife or their spouse. It could be their car, their truck, their house, their kids, their bank account, their status. Paul says, I laid all of that down because I can't do that. And I trust that what God did on the cross through Jesus is going to see me to heaven. I hope you could say the same thing. Remember, to live in our Christian liberty. May God bless you.